All right, in Acts chapter 11. Uh, well, welcome, guys. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. What a joy it is just to hang out with them. And um, as we study your word, uh, let us uh, continue to be challenged to move beyond where we are. And as we look specifically in Acts chapter 11, God, uh, I do pray that, uh, that we've gleaned some insights for our own personal walk with you. And um, uh, let, us, uh, let us then leave here uh, with the challenge to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, let's pick up reading in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And this is uh, obviously the church is growing, it's being planted. Uh, if you go back to the early part, you have Acts and you have Pentecost and uh, Peter's sermon. Right after uh, several thousand are saved, they begin to devote themselves to worship and Bible study and prayer and, and to the teaching of God's Word and fellowshipping together. And it says all those in the Jerusalem area uh, were filled with a sense of awe. Uh, and the church began to grow. And then pretty quickly, the religious leaders, the same religious leaders that uh, ultimately delivered uh, Jesus into the Romans' hands to be nailed to the cross, uh, they began to persecute the church. That's when we were introduced to a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul who, let, who really held the coats and the garments of those who would ultimately stone Stephen, one of the very first deacons who could also preach. You could see that. Uh, but then in Acts chapter 9, God shows up to Saul uh, on the road to Damascus and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, the truth is uh, that, part, that persecution... Uh, actually led to church growth. There's always times, and if you think about it, uh, many, of, uh, many of the disciples would have been just as happy to stay right there in Jerusalem and to pray and to fellowship and to enjoy each other's company and uh, not go spread the word, right? Isn't that kind of where we are? I mean, don't we have that same mindset from time to time? We'll get in our life group. We'll get in our, we, we get our people that we love to be around. And it's really, there are times that we have to be pressed sometimes or pushed or challenged just to walk over to our neighbor and invite them to church, uh, to uh, talk to someone uh, in uh, our neighborhood uh, about church, uh, to talk to someone we work with about church, invite them to church and uh, share Christ with them. And so the challenge for us is always this, as a congregation, as men, uh, to always be looking uh, to take the gospel to somebody else, to reach somebody else uh, for Christ. And so as you move through, you see the church is planted in one place and then something happens, the persecution shows up even without without Saul, who's now become Paul. Then it moves to some other place. And so that's where you pick it up in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, all right, so why did the gospel spread? Uh, wasn't necessarily out of obedience. Uh, sometimes it was out of obedience. But sometimes it's just because they were persecuted. We're going to go down the road that broke out uh, when Stephen was killed, um, uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now notice, only among the Jews. What do we not only have the tendency to do? First of all, we're comfortable with those that we're comfortable with. We don't want to share the gospel. But when we do share the gospel, who do we have a tendency to share with? Those people that are just like us, right? We have to understand that gospel is for all people. And so they're like, man, well, I'm willing to share the gospel with the Jew. Look at the next verse, verse 20. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 27. 
the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, and anytime we are passionate about sharing the gospel and inviting the church, it should not surprise us when we grow. When great numbers show up, that's what the gospel has always done. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, so they sent a guy named Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, uh, he was glad and encouraged and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Then look at verse 24. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now verse 25. It says, when Barnabas, uh, when Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he had joined him, he brought, uh, brought him back to Antioch. So for, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, great numbers of people. And then notice what it said, disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So what I thought I would do is I thought I would just kind of take uh, uh, this passage and a couple of others and say, all right, if they were first called Christians at Antioch, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, if we think about our lives, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, Y'all kind, of, kind of throw some ideas out for me. What does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, follower of Christ. Somebody else. Believer in the resurrection, good. Somebody else? Sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel, great. What else? What does it mean to be a Christian? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Very good. You're not the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, right. So, uh, good, deeds. good deeds. Good deeds. Not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. Making Some, disciples. Huh? Making disciples. Making disciples, absolutely. Good. What does it mean to be a Christian? What's that? Being like Jesus Christ. Man, these are all great answers. What else? Somebody just throw, throw some more thoughts out there. Coming to the end of our road. How much money has that Jeopardy guy won now that's on 20 somebody? Is he well over a million, right? Have y'all been following that? These guys heading towards a new record? Apparently, people are getting bored. Ratings are going down because he's winning every day. And uh, uh, that has nothing to do with Acts chapter 11. I just, that, that, I'm just thinking of the beeping while y'all don't have an answer. But, you know, I, when we come, you know the truth is, um, when we ask ourselves questions like that, we have a tendency to get to them all, right? I mean, we kind of touched all the bases, right? We are, you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit to seal you until the day of redemption. You know, you need to be, be making disciples. We need to be sharing our faith. We need to be involved in good works. We can talk about them all, right? We can kind of get them all in there. Let me ask you a question. How many, how many of those do we do? I think a tendency, and, and, and this, is, this is more an invitation today. It's not, uh, not necessarily uh, supposed to be a condemning message. It's just a challenge and an invitation to us to take what we just said, and I'm going to show those to you in Scripture, and you're going to see all of the things I've prepared. We pretty much touched on, all right, that, that we have to look and be honest and say, you know what, if this is what it means to be a Christian, and this is what I'm doing, what else do I need to do? And what are two or three other things? And we've said some in here. I will tell you, and I'll be honest, it's easy to say we know as Christians we need to share our faith. 
But my guess is, and I'm not, I'm not going to have you do this, if I said how many of you have shared your faith truly with someone who was lost in the last week? Very few hands would go up. In the last month, very few hands would go up. Probably in the last six months or a year, very few hands would come up. Even invite someone to church. I mean, we as we move towards Easter, uh, we always share. Uh, uh, Justin, what's that? Is it is it eighty six percent of the people, or is it eighty two percent of people? If a friend invited them to church, if they were unchurched, they would come. Is that I can't? Oh, it's eighty two. Eighty two percent of people, if a friend, if they didn't go to church, if a friend invited them to church, they would come. And so that's where. We, so do are we, we we even faithful? Just invite someone to church. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Let me give you a couple of thoughts if you want to take notes, and I'm going to show them to you uh, right, right here in Scripture. Um, first of all, this is where it started. We have to receive Christ as Savior, right? We have, that's the simple part. That's the easy part. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, uh, uh, right there, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. That word believed means trust, right? That they began to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. In other words, instead of trusting their own selves, their own heart, their own mind, their own will, uh, in the Jewish setting, what did they trust? They trusted, first of all, that they were a Jew, right? It'd be like someone trusting the fact I grew up in church or my parents, uh, uh, my dad was a deacon or my uh, mom uh, worked at the church that because of that, I'm a Christian. That's the way the Jews work. They trusted in themselves because they were Jews. Then, if, then to whatever measure they, they went to, they kept the law. Then whatever measure they did, they were involved in the sacrifices. That's what they trusted. They trusted themselves. To be a believer, to trust in Christ, to accept Christ as Savior and Lord, means that you first of all acknowledge that in and of yourselves, you are not good, uh, good enough to earn salvation. And the only way you are going to have salvation is that you trust in the death and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. When he was buried, that was my death, he died. When he rose again, he offers me new life through the actual physical resurrection from the dead. That's what it means. Now, there are terms that we use. What are some terms? Give me, give me some terms that we use for being a Christian. What does that mean? Give me, some, give me some phrases that you can think of even from the Bible. Huh? Believer? Okay. Give me another one. Sanctified. Sanctified. What? Yeah, baptism. No, what, what is another word for if I'm a believer, if I'm a Christian? What's it called in the New Testament? Faith. Ah, oh, y'all are, are getting close. Being born again. How many of you have heard that? All right. So let's talk about it because there are sometimes people say I'm a Christian. Uh, others will say I'm born again. Uh, some people have no idea what does it really mean to be born again, right? If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. I want to cover that with you and let you understand what does it mean to be born again. In John chapter 3, uh, you can go to verse 1. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Uh, Jesus is beginning to teach. He's beginning to share. And a Pharisee, a guy named Nicodemus, shows up to him. And Nicodemus is a teacher of the law, and he's asking Jesus some questions. And so in John chapter 3, verse 1, here's what it says. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
He came to Jesus at night and said, now let me just stop you right there. Uh, It's always interesting as you read the commentaries, as you're listening to sermons. uh, Some people uh, would say, well, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night to hide out, to kind of say, hey, maybe he was truly interested. He wanted to know the answer. Uh, He had heard John the Baptist a couple of chapters before say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, But he clearly came at night. Now, what does this mean? Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean he had good intentions for Jesus uh, because at the end of the day when they they took him in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was at night too, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean he had good, good motives, but there are many who believe that perhaps Nicodemus was really asking a sincere question. So notice what he says. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. In other words, Jesus had demonstrated enough knowledge of God's Word, wisdom in God's Word, and understanding, and, and enough miracles. Uh, by the way, by this time, uh, what miracle uh, was the first miracle that Jesus performed? Water into wine, John chapter 2, right before this, right? Uh, at a wedding feast, at a wedding ceremony. And so uh, uh, Baptists uh, like to glance over that, uh, that particular miracle. But it says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher, you're from God, because no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. What did he say? He's simply saying, I've just been watching you. I'm not a follower of yours yet. But there's something about your message. There's something about your life. There's something about the power that you demonstrate. And now as he goes on, look at Jesus replied. So he said, uh, we know that you're God, so no one uh, uh, can do what you're doing without God. Then then look at verse uh, 3. It says, Jesus replied, very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There's that phrase, born again. So notice Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a bit confused. So Nicodemus asked the question, how can someone be born again when they are old? Pretty good question, right? Uh, we, how many of you uh, have ever been born twice physically? No, no one in here, all right? And so he says, how can I be born again? Now notice as Jesus follow up, uh, surely you can not enter into your mother's womb a second time. And Jesus answered, he said, very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised that I'm saying this, that you must be born again. So one of, the, one of the phrases we use to describe ourselves as Christians is that we would be born again. That, that phrase actually means born from above. If you want to write that down, it means born from above. Now, so to be a Christian, uh, you have to be born again. The first time is physical, the second time is spiritual. There are those who misunderstand this. Notice Jesus said, uh, you must be born of water and the Spirit. There are those uh, who would say, see, Jesus is saying you have, to be a, you have to trust Christ as Savior and Lord and be baptized. That's the water. Somebody tell me from context why you know he's not talking about water baptism here. Somebody tell me. Sorry, just throw a guess out. They're not going to hear you. How do you know he's not talking about baptism in a church here? What's the context? What's the context? Huh? It's, it's rebirth and it's physical birth, right? 
He, he's saying, you know, he's saying you must be born of water. That is the physical birth he's talking about. He's not talking about a baptism up there. How do you know? Well, context says what? Nicodemus said, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? Can I be born again from my mother? No. The physical birth is the water birth. I will tell you, I don't know about your house, but in our house, when Gina's water broke, we, had, we were with child in 45 minutes. I mean, it was just, that, that's the way it was. All right, That's the physical birth. Jesus said, if you are going to be a Christian, you have to be born, first of all, physically. That means angels can't become Christians. They're either followers or not followers. Followers of God or followers of Satan. But as Christians... We have to be born of water physically and be born from above spiritually. Now, as you jump forward a little bit, what does it mean a little more? If you go back to John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, go back to John chapter 1. What does it mean to be born again? It literally means be born from above, but look at what it says in John 1. John 1 verse 12, it says this. He, talking about Jesus, came to that which was his own, or those who was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, all right, he came to his own. Many and most of the Jews rejected him, but he, gave, he was offered to others. But as many as did receive him, to those who believed his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now notice the pattern. If Nicodemus says, Are you born? Can I be born again? Well, whose son was Nicodemus? His mother's son, right? Well, when we are born again by God, we become children of God. So I am children of my earthly parents in a physical sense, and we are children of God in a spiritual sense. Does that make sense? So we need to understand the analogy is holding true physical birth, spiritual birth. Physical heritage, spiritual heritage. I am my parents' child, but I'm also a child of God once I accept Christ as my Savior and Lord. Now continue to read. He says, children born, listen to this, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So born again means we are born physically to our earthly parents. Then we are born spiritually uh, to God. Part of becoming born spiritually to God means that I become a child of God. And that also means all the resources of God, just like with my earthly parents, all the resources of God are given to me. Think of the prodigal son, right? He had loads of resources. He had a great inheritance waiting for him, right? Then he went to his dad and said, hey, give me my inheritance. I want to go squander it. I want to have some wild living. He took his inheritance and he squandered it. Well, my guess is most guys in here, you're not going to take your inheritance and you're not going to squander it, right? My guess is you're not going to spend, uh, uh, you're not going to spend uh, you know, several years in Vegas with the wrong kind of people, spending money everywhere until you come to the end and you have to do like the prodigal son does. Come to the end of your senses. We're not going to do that. But we could squander our resources, right? I mean, think of all that God has given us. Guys, the relationships he's given us, the jobs he's given us, the families he's given us, the church he's given us, the community that he's given us around us. Man, we have some amazing resources to share with people, right? Um, I, want, I want you to know as a pastor, I don't want to get to God someday and him say, decently done, John Mark. Right? I want him to say, well done. Uh, I don't want him to look down at Cottonwood and say, hey, guys, not a bad job. Could have done more. 
And so the challenge for us is if we have been born again from God, we have all the resources that God has given us spiritually and physically, then we want to be passionate as children of God proclaiming the message of God. And so once we are saved, once we become a Christian, we have to understand what it means to be born again, which is also a challenge. Then if you uh, uh, jump, let's see, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let me give you another little description of what it means to be a Christian and born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is a passage that most of us know in here. And it says, therefore, all right, we're going to come back to this therefore here in a second. Uh, and anytime you come to a therefore in Scripture, you've heard this before, you want to know why it's there, what it's there for. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and behold, the new is here. Now let's continue to read verse 18. All this is from God. There it is, born of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, as believers, the old has gone, the new has come, physical birth has been exchanged for spiritual birth. My earthly parents are also uh, synonymous, but far surpassed by my spiritual father, my heavenly father. And now what he's saying, I become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But then notice those words. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So part of what it means to be a Christian is to trust Christ, but it also means that we need to be about reconciling others to the same God we have been reconciled to, right? That has to be a challenge for us, that we constantly have to be trying to draw people into faith, into their walk with God, and into uh, why? Because God has given us that ministry. Then notice as you pick it up, verse 19, that God was reconciled in the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How many of us are grateful for that? That, man, part of reconciliations means that God looks at me and says, I'm not going to count your sins against you. You're guilty, John Mark, but I'm not going to count your sin, uh, sins against you. I'm reconciling you to myself because of Jesus Christ. Man, guys, part of being a Christian means that God's not going to count one sin against you. I'm not going to count one sin against you. You will always, once you are a child of God, you will always be a child of God. Now, your ongoing fellowship with God might be a little different based on how we operate. You go back to uh, the prodigal son, right, or our children. How many of you have, uh, have at one time had teenage sons or teenage daughters, all right? And let's say your teenager comes in and uh, they, uh, they directly disobey you. They don't do, you, you do, do exactly what you tell them to do. You're going out of town. You say, hey, listen, behave yourself. You know, don't, don't, don't take the car. Don't do this. Don't do that. And all of a sudden you come home. You walk into your garage, the car you told them not to take out is all beat up. You can tell it's been crashed, it's been wrecked, it's got, you know, it, it's been in a ditch somewhere, it's got grass, the wind is broken, all this stuff. And you walk into your kid and you said, hey, did you drive the car? And they go, no. And you go, you're lying. And they go, no, no, I'm not lying. And you go, well, come out here, let me show you the car. And you walk out and show the car and you go, the only person that could have driven that car, taken out of here, and brought it back in here, a thief wouldn't have thieved it 
and then unthieved it, right? Unless maybe they looked at it and said, you need to fix this car before I steal it. But let me ask you a question. So you're looking at your kid, and they're lying to your face. How good is your relationship with them right now? They're still your child, right? But your relationship, your fellowship with them is not very good, right? Why? What you want them to do is what? Confess, right? They're still our child, but what do they need to do? I'm sorry, I confess. Uh, they, they might endure some consequences, right? You might say, well, guess what? Uh, your allowance or some of your college savings is going to go to repair that vehicle. There are consequences, right? Now, there, are, there is a reality within a believer's life that when we walk in disobedience, that does not relieve us from walking with consequences. There are times that people say, why would God let this happen to me? And I will tell you, sometimes as a pastor or someone in the ministry, maybe with you, with some of your friends, there are times that people will tell me what they've done, and then they will say, why is God allowing this to happen? And I am convinced that there are times that God, first of all, looks back and says, that's on you, right? That God says, I had nothing to do with that. There are times that people believe that believers believe that just because I walk in forgiveness of my sins, that there aren't consequences. See, experiencing consequences are part of the Christian life as well. If I sin, if I, uh, you know, if Justin walks up there next Sunday after the offering and just makes a habit every Sunday of stuffing all the extra cash in his pocket, all right, Justin doesn't do that. Justin and I stay out of the fight. That's going to be Scott. The politician's going to steal the money. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. If all of a sudden, six months in, we found him, we found out, and look back, and you, know, you see, hear this every once in a while. How many of you read the story, uh, the, the rodeo over there that someone had embezzled like $1.3 million? How many of y'all saw that story? Billy Bob's or whatever that rodeo, the, the lady had set up a PayPal account. All online ticket sales to Billy Bob's for the last three years had gone to her PayPal account. I bought some of those tickets, so I was glad to contribute to her college education, her kid's college education. But, you know, then she's crying, then she's, I'm sorry right? Sorry, I didn't get it. Well, it's the same thing with Justin. What would we do? There would be consequences. I believe there would be consequences from the church. I believe there would be consequences from God for stealing with God. How many of you understand that? That doesn't mean Justin wouldn't be God's son, right? See, there's a difference between positional relationship and consequences for sin. I can be forgiven for sin, but still bear the, bear the consequences of our sin. And that's what we need to understand. He says, listen, we need to be about reconciling people unto ourselves. And then he says he's committed us to the message of reconciliation. He says, we are therefore, as we move forward, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. Here's the sharing of our faith. As though God were making his appeal through us. Listen, guys, that has to be a challenge for us. We are Christ ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? They speak for the one who sent them, right? Uh, if, if Donald Trump or whoever the president of the day um, appoints uh, uh, Shane as ambassador to uh, Guatemala, Shane goes over to Guatemala, right? And he's supposed to speak whatever he thinks. No, he's essentially delivering the message from the president, 
right? All you guys, if you're an ambassador, an ambassador doesn't go to a foreign country and begin to speak for themselves, right? They begin to speak for the one who they're ambassador for, the country, the person, the president who sent them. That's us, guys. We have been anointed as ambassadors for Christ to speak his message, the message of reconciliation. And for some of us, how many of you know what I'm talking about? For some of us in here, the, the message is going to sound similar to, if God can save and forgive me, trust me, he can save and forgive you. How many of you understand that kind of a past, right? That's our message, though. And so, so as a believer, how good of an ambassador have we been? How good of an ambassador have you been? Have we walked in such a way that I am honoring God with the way I live and how I share my faith? And he says, we are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, listen to this, on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Man, I love that word implore. That, that they were constantly begging, they were asking, they were even being willing to be in their face to say, guys, this is the grace of God. That word implore has the idea of begging. You know, a, a lot of people have the idea that, man, we need to be out there fire and brimstone preaching. That word implore means begging. Begging. It's kind of the idea, uh, I heard the story about the, the, the people in, uh, uh, in McKinney a few seconds ago, the guy falling in the creek and one of his no dogs knocking him in. It's almost the image that you see sometimes about someone that's fallen off a cliff and they're hanging and they're holding. You've seen these kind of sketch images. They're holding or they're barely standing there and someone's reaching down. And what are you doing? You're begging them, hold on, grab, right? That is the word implore. That, that, that folks, we need to be about begging people to accept the gospel of Christ. Everything we need to do is begging people. We're not screaming at them. We're not hollering at them. Let me tell you what, the fires of hell are hot. The fires of hell are rich, are, 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 are real. They're real. But man, the grace of God is the salve that solves all problems. And we need to be passionate with our families and those in our communities, my prayer, guys, for y'all is that when we move towards vacation Bible school, is that you wouldn't just say, all right, I'll drive a little truck, which, which we, that would be huge. But as you're thinking, I, my prayer is that you would say, God, I pray that hundreds of kids would accept Christ. I, I pray that parents would be changed by this because apart from the gospel of Christ, Everyone's headed to hell. And that is a real truth that we need to understand fully. And so we need to understand. We implore you. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Look at verse 21. And God made him who had no sin to become sin for, it, for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Now, I'm not going to get to close, I'm gonna, but I'm close with that. I'm not going to get to go through the rest. I'll come back and we'll do part B of what it means to be a Christian next week. But look at that last word. God made him. Who's the him? Christ. God made his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, who had no sin. How much sin did Christ have? Zero. Zero. 
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's crazy. No, that's God. That's the crazy love of God is what it is. That God took his son who had never done anything wrong and he made him sin. To be sin for us, and then notice what it says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this whole Christian exchange, I go from a physical birth to a spiritual birth. That beyond that, I, when I have a physical birth, move a physical birth to a spiritual birth, the old is gone, the new has come. The unrighteousness that I had had been given to Jesus, and now I get the righteousness of God. How many of you would say, that deal sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the only deal on earth that is not too good to be true. And guys, we've got to share that, share that deal with everybody. If you are a believer, my prayer is right now that when you leave here after I pray, that you would pray in your car almost weeping and with tears. God, give me a passion for people. Give me a passion for people. Because let me tell you what, true Christians are passionate people. True Christians are passionate people who are passionate for other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for these guys. And as we journey through our life today, let us remember what it means to be born from above, to not just be physically born, but spiritually born, to receive a new nature that the old has gone and the new has come. God, that I've exchanged my unrighteousness for your son's righteousness. I am becoming a, I have become a child of God. And so God, let us call out. Let us leave here and let us call out to you and beg for you to give us a passion for people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.